And we're underway at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. Swing and a drive! Swing and a miss ball game! Strike three call! Swing and a miss ball game! A swing and a drive! To deep left! Away! Back! Gone! Swung out and belted to deep left. Away, back, gone to the home run porch. Swing and a high drive. Deep right center. There she goes. A game winner. This is Tom Hamilton. You're listening to the latest episode of Rolling with the Tribe. Here's your host, Peter Nab. And thank you, Hammy, for that intro. As we have a lot to cover on this latest edition of Rolling with the Tribe. Again, thank you very much for joining me. My name is Peter Nab. Again, thank you, Hammy, for that intro. And we have a lot to cover on this edition of Rolling with the Tribe. Uh, we're gonna cover the we're gonna cover the Indians series with the Kansas City Royals uh, that started on Labor Day. Uh, the four game series that started on Labor Day, and. Um, and we have we have a lot to cover. The uh, series started out positively for the Indians, but then uh, but then the series went downhill from there. But we'll cover it as uh, as as the Indians uh, again. As I mentioned on the last podcast, the Indians took two out of three from the uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers, and then uh, and then went on to take the uh, take on the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Starting on Labor Day, and the the Indians uh, took uh, took on the Kansas City Royals um, starting on on Labor Day. So we'll cover we'll cover that game in just a, we'll cover that game in just a moment. However, I did I did want to mention that we're going to have a pretty extensive interview with the voice of the tribe, Tom Hamilton, the man that you just heard in the intro. We're going to have a pretty extensive interview with Tom Hamilton coming up, uh, coming up shortly, uh, coming up in the second half of this podcast. We're going to have a very extensive interview with Tom Hamilton. We talk, we talk about a lot of different things with the voice of the tribe, Tom Hamilton. So that'll be coming up later in this episode of Rolling with the Tribe. Again, the Indians came off, uh, came off a series with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Milwaukee Brewers in which they took two out of three. Uh, against the Milwaukee Brewers, and then the Kansas City Royals came into town, and the series the the series started started off positively for the Indians, as the as the Indians um tried tried to build on the, their momentum against uh, tr- uh tried to build on them the mo- their momentum from the um from the mo- from the Milwaukee Brewers series, uh, again on. On Labor Day, the Indians would get the win against the Kansas City Royals. They would defeat the Kansas City Royals by a score of five to two, and um, and uh, pitching uh, pitching for the Indians, uh, Zach Plesac, in his return to the mound um, uh, for the Indians, uh, Zach Plesac would. Um, I'm sorry, it's not his. 
not not his return to the mound, his second start back from his uh, suspension um, because of the uh, incident in Chicago. Zach Poisak would go seven innings, and he would give up seven hits. He would give up a hit in each inning. But other than that, he was not really damaged as he only gave up one run. Uh, and again, he went seven strong in seven strong innings, gave up a hit in every single inning, but only gave up one run. So that's a credit to him. As again, he, Zach Plesak went seven innings. Uh, and then Adam Simber, Phil Maton, and Brad Hand finished out the game pitching-wise for, for the Cleveland Indians. Offensively, Excuse me. Offensively for the Indians, the Indians uh, scored their first run on a fielder's choice by Tyler Naquin, and then um, and and then uh, uh, Josh Naylor was able to get an RBI on a on a force out to to give the Indians um, a uh, to give the Indians a two nothing lead, and then. Tyler Naquin with a sacrifice fly to make it three uh, to make it three nothing. Um, Alberto uh, Mondesi for the Kansas City Royals hit a uh, hit a line drive homer to put KC uh, on the board. It, it was uh, th- three to one in the seventh inning, and then uh, and then Jose, excuse me. And then Oscar Mercado um, uh, scored Josh Naylor on on a on a ground ball at, at to third, and then uh, and then a, a sack fly by Mike Freeman, and it, uh, a sack fly by Mike Freeman scored the Indians' fifth one, fifth run at that point. That made it uh, f- uh, five to one, and. The game would finish uh, with a score of five to two. So it was. So this uh, game on this game on Labor Day for the Indians uh, was some good old fashioned what you might call small ball. The Indians just didn't try to do too much. Just uh, played some good traditional st- station to station baseball, and they ended up getting a five to two win. Over the Kansas City Royals, over the Kansas City Royals, as I mentioned, Zach Plesac won seven innings. He gave up a hit in every inning, but uh, but did not allow much damage as his only run came on a on a line drive home run in the seventh inning. So a pretty darn good start by Zach Plesac as the Indians would win five to two, uh, five to two on Labor Day. And that would improve. Um, that would improve the Indians' record, uh, as 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 the Indians would improve at the time to a record of twenty six and fifteen at uh, at the time. Uh, we'll talk about this more in a moment. But but this was really the only the only bright spot of the series for the Indians. We'll talk more about that uh, in just a moment. But uh, right uh, right now we're going to hear from uh, we're going to hear from some key contributors from uh, the w- the win on mem- on Memorial Day uh, excuse, 
excuse me, we're going to hear from some key contributors on on the win on Labor Day for for the Indians. We're going to hear from uh, we're going to hear from acting manager Sandy Almar Jr. We're going to hear from from Mio Reyes, and we're going to hear from Zach Plesak. But let's first hear what acting manager Sandy Almar Jr. had to say after the Indians' five to two win over the Kansas City Royals at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario on Labor Day. Sandy, knowing how difficult it is to face a team back-to-back starts like Plesak did tonight, just how impressed were you with how he was able to give up hits but not give up runs, really? Super impressive, uh, throws a lot of strikes. Even when he's behind a count, uh, his, his tempo is always good, and he managed to come back in count. I mean, when you don't walk people and uh, you have a good separation of your pitches, that's a good recipe right there. And uh, he's, he's looking good. You know, Keller hasn't given up many extra base hits all season long. Was the approach to be aggressive early because you know you're not going to hit him off the park? We just got to get this guy to bring the ball up. Uh, unless you're Nate Queen. If you're Nate Queen, you look down there. But he, uh, you know, guys were able to get him up in his own and able to drive the ball. He's done, you know, he's been tough against us. He's probably the best pitcher. So um, we we had a better approach today. Not, not trying to pull everything, just trying to help the middle out of the way and uh, have him make, uh, bring the ball up. With Jose, we found a clip of – I know the dump's been bothering him. We found a clip the inning before you pulled him where he kind of took a swing and had a grimace in his face. Is this worse or just more of the same with the dump? Uh, it's similar, but it's just a nagging thing. It's going over and over. I think it's kind of wearing my mentally, in my opinion. So today he, he felt it again, and we made a decision just to pull him out of the game, you know, just to give him a chance to recuperate. Uh if he would have to go out there and hit again, he probably would have done worse damage. But uh, we put Freeman in there. We're going to evaluate things tomorrow. Uh, if Jose comes in, like he feels 50% better. If he wants to play, it's up to him. But we are, we are we're leaning towards uh, playing Freeman tomorrow. Did you have to tell Santana that a hit was taken away from him because of Frankie? Or just can you go there? How did the outbuyers explain it to you? Well, I didn't, we didn't. We, didn't, we thought Lindor touched the base until they put it in the scoreboard. I, uh, I, w- I went out there to ask him what, was it, what happened. What was the play? I thought he touched the base. And then as I was, he was explaining to me, I see it in the scoreboard. <laughs> I was kind of like at the Ruben Rivera run, uh, the, uh, base running right there. Did Frankie, did Mondesi tell Frankie or did he deke him in the thinking he had to go back to second or did Frankie just not know? No, Frankie didn't pick the ball. Uh, and then after that, he knew he missed the base, but he was kind of like already like going towards third base, and he felt uh, whatever you know maybe they didn't see it. So you know, it was a base running mistake. Uh, it happens. Hey Sandy, it wasn't as if Zach was pitching poorly before the incident last month, but have you have you seen a a change in his attitude or focus or, or demeanor since he's been back for these last couple of starts? No, I, I, I think he's the same guy, same kid, you know, with more discipline. But he's he's the same pitcher. He's always been a motivated kid, and he goes to the mound to win and to compete. I haven't seen any change prior or after. He seems to me like the same person. 
Sandy, how much more of a bonus is it for a, a guy like Zach who, who fields his position uh, really well as a pitcher to be able to have him out there on the field? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, he's, uh, he's a good athlete. Uh, moves around the mound, hard to bond on him, feel the position, and he's accurate with his throws. So a lot of times you're, you're a good athlete, but you can't throw the ball to first base from different angles. He can do everything. That was Indians acting manager Sandy Alomar Jr. talking about, talking about the 5-2 victory over the Kansas City Royals on Labor Day as as the Indians as the Indians would win the first game of the series and the play that they were talking about um was a play where the Indians um uh, the Indians were robbed of of a double because um because of a weird base running mistake by um, by Francisco Lindor, as he did not realize that he did not touch second on the way around second uh, on his way to third. So that was just a kind of a silly base running mistake by Francisco Lindor. But nonetheless, the Indians get a five to two victory over the Kansas City Royals on on Labor Day, uh, and again coming off of taking two out of three from the uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, now let's hear. Um, uh, let's hear from Farmio uh, Reyes as Farmio Reyes uh, conti- continues to be one of the Indians' hottest hitters at the plate. From uh, from Farmio Reyes again had uh, again had a couple hits in this ball game as. Farmer Reyes was two for three in this game on Labor Day against the uh, against the Kansas City Royals as he scored one run for the Tribe, and again he was two for three. So Farm Farm Reyes conti- continues to be an offensive force for the Indians, and by far I would say the Indians' most consistent hitter as the Indians continue to just. Uh, get some really consistent offensive production from from Mio Reyes, and as I'll talk about later in the episode, the Indians really um, have had a jackal and Hyde offense, and the only really consistent hitter for the Indians has been f- from Mio Reyes. As the Indians' offense as a whole has been nothing but consistently inconsistent, but nonetheless, the Indians get a five to two victory. Over the Kansas City Royals, and Farmio Reyes leads the team in batting average with a three oh six batting average, which um, which by far leads the Indians team. As we as we take a look, the next closest hitter for the Indians is Francisco Lindor with a two seventy four average. So Farmio Reyes is by far. The most consistent offensive weapon for the Indians this year, again with a three oh six average for Farmio Reyes. So let's hear from Farmio Reyes again as he went two for three on Labor Day against the Kansas City Royals. Let's hear from the big man Farmio Reyes. Um, what is it about? And I don't even like asking questions like this when you still have three more games left this week against Kansas City. But what is it about that Royals uniform that brings out the best in Farmio Reyes? Oh man, come on, my brother. Um, feel great. Um, um, be studying the their picture very good, and um, 
going out there with a plan um, and executing um, execution my, my my pitches when when they hang it right there. For this offense right now, knowing you guys only have 19 games, how comfortable do you feel right now with how you guys are all working off of each other? Santana's got a couple hits the last couple of days. Frankie's been more consistent recently. Just how do you feel about the guy and Nate Winnett behind you? Just what is, how does that make you feel at the plate? It, it, it makes me feel good now knowing the, the, my teammates are there, you know, uh, at the right time. Um, like, like we, we always playing together, but, but now that all these guys are hot too, like it's going to be a great right for, for the playoffs. And I'm gonna, I know I'm for sure know that we're going to be there and uh, we're going to play really hard and we're going to compete. Franmil, you had such a great series against Kansas City, then in, against the Brewers. What happened again? You know, was it was it just you know kind of the odds evening out against the Brewers, and then all of a sudden Kansas City's back in town, and you, it looked like your you know your swing is back. Oh man, um, I have very good at bat against the Brewers. I hit the ball right in the barrel very hard. Uh, it was. The hits were not landing, that's it. But I feel great at the play. If I told you the against the Brewers, I was lost at the play, that's a lie, a big lie, because I feel great. When I was playing against the Brewers, I hung my pitch, but it was always re- uh, hitting it at people, you know? But, you know, it's great to have my hits back, but I always was focused right in the play when I was playing against the Brewers. Thanks. Men- mentally, how do you um, when you don't get hits? How do you when you know you feel good? How do you mentally stay in that right frame of mind? Um, that's great question, Andre. Thank you because um, when when we're hitting very good and we feel comfortable in your mind, you go to the play like we're not a plan at all. I'm doing everything great. Sometimes you need those bad days so you can think like. What was I doing? What when I was good to I want to go back to that. So when you're hitting a lot of hits, a lot of hits every day, you get comfortable and man, you lost it. But some days when you have bad days like that, one day you have that mindset like I need to go back. I I, I need to check what I was doing good. So that's great. That was Fermio Reyes talking about his recent offensive successes. And again, Fermio Reyes is by far the best hitting, or the best hitter right now for the tribe as he leads the team with a 306 batting average. The next closest is Francisco Lindor with a 274 batting average. Fermio Reyes is certainly getting it done at the plate for the tribe. Now, let's, uh, let's, hear from Zach Plesak. As I mentioned, Zach Plesak went seven innings on Labor Day. He gave up seven hits. He gave up he gave up one hit in each inning, but he did not allow uh, the Royals to really do any damage except for a solo shot in the uh, in the seventh inning uh, to give Kansas City their only their one and only run. And in the two starts since Zach Plesak has been allowed to rejoin the team, since he rejoined the team from the uh, suspension from the incident in Chicago, 
Zach Plesac has gone a total of 13 innings in those two starts and given up two and given up two earned runs in those two starts since returning. So he has certainly been very dominant. Let's hear from the Indians' young and very promising starting pitcher, Zach Plesac. Hey, Zach, have these two starts back gone about as well as you could have hoped? Yeah, I mean, uh, two wins. Um, that's all you can ask for. Hey, when you give up a, a hit in an inning like that, does it just make you buckle down even more? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some uh, intensity, I guess, that comes with giving up a hit. Um Focus, I guess, you know, to, to start the bat before, but it definitely will lock you back in. Zach, what, is, what has allowed you to, uh, you know, have such control in the strike zone, not walking? I think you've only walked two people this season. Yeah, I think just consistency with my delivery has helped. Um, a good game plan has helped and really just – Mentally, like having the attitude that I'm trying to pitch as deep as I can in the, in the games, you know, and that's the only way that's going to happen is if I pound the zone, you know, and make speed. So just really be aggressive, make those guys make a good swing on, a, on an executed pitch and then let the defense go to work. How important is it for you to not just be an adequate uh, defender or fielder out there, but, but to be a plus fielder, to, to be somebody who, like Sandy Alomar said, you know, uh, can, can get make a play uh, that, that not everybody can make. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, you put a situation in the guy on first, you got less than two outs, um, puts a bunt down, you got a chance to make a play a second. It's always going to help when you can get the lead runner. Uh, I, I pride myself in, in being good at fielding my position, and it's something I'm going to continue to, you know, work on and, and be good at in my game. Zach, how enjoyable has it been for you to just watch how the rotation as a whole has succeeded so far this year? It's incredible. It's amazing. It's like it's 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 crazy to see. You know, like you you always know in the back of your head how good we have our rotation, how good these guys are. And then you get to see, you know, when they put those those plays into action during the season, and to see us on top, you know, and of all the starting rotations in the big leagues is, is awesome to see. I know. We work diligently, and we all help each other. It's a, it's a superb group of guys. For real, this rotation is, is heavy, so it's just exciting. Zach, you talk about executing that game plan. What's the dynamic of, of a game plan when you're facing that same team back-to-back starts? Yeah, I think uh, in those situations, it's more of adapting to how they're reacting on your pitches in that, that game. You know, you kind of execute the game plan you have going into the game, and make adjustments as the game goes on, you know, and they're going to make their adjustments based on previous outings. So really just in-game um, adjustments are the key for, for facing a team twice in a row or more. And that was Zach Plesak, uh talking to the media after his second start back from his uh, hiatus from the team. And again, he, he couldn't be any more dominant than he was in his first two starts back for the tribe. Again, uh, his first few starts, he uh, first two starts back from his uh, suspension down in uh, down in Lake County at the alternate site. He he gave up a total of two runs in thirteen innings, 
in his first two starts. That's a pretty dominant way to show to show your teammates that you're ready to come back. So good for Zach Plesak. We all know about the video that he, that he posted on Instagram that he certainly regrets. And so good for Zach Plesak that he has been able to, um, you know, he's been able to redeem himself with his teammates, if you will, and done so in an effective manner. We'll go to the game on Tuesday for the. We'll go to the game on Tuesday for the tribe. Tuesday was a very weird game for the tribe as the Indians offensively actually had a pretty good output, uh, considering their their offensive struggles this year. the The Indians, um, the Indians had a pretty solid offensive output. In fact, they hit three they hit three home runs in this game, and usually. Usually when the Indians hit three home runs with the pitching that they have, it's almost a guarantee. It should be a guaranteed win. But unfortunately for the Indians, uh, it all went for naught, even even though Carlos Santana, Sandy Leone, and Francisco Lindor all hit home runs in this game on Tuesday, September 8th, for the Cleveland Indians. But it was all for naught as... As normally the Indians pitching would allow that kind of offensive output to stand, but the bullpen was really the Indians' Achilles' heel in this ball game, as as the as the Indians' pitching line looked like this. Tristan McKenzie had an okay start. Tristan McKenzie won five innings, gave up three hits and three earned runs. Uh, again, he won five innings. And then James Karinchek came in and uh, had and had a clean inning. And then Cal Cal Quantrell, who the Indians just picked up in the trade, um, he he then came in and went one inning and gave up two runs on two hits. It just wasn't a good night for the bullpen. Then Adam Simber uh, came in for one. Th- for one third of an inning, and gave up, uh, and gave up two hits and two runs. Oliver Perez, uh, came in, and didn't, and and didn't give up, give up any hits or runs. And then Adam Plutko came in and gave up two hits and one earned run. So the Indians ended up losing by a score. Of eight to six, despite the fact that the Indians were leading five to three after three innings, the Indians ended up losing by a score of eight to six. So a a bullpen implosion for the Indians on uh, on Tuesday, September eighth. So we move to Wednesday, September ninth, and the Indians offense did nothing on Wednesday, September ninth. The Indians would lose by a score of three to nothing. They got a pretty darn dominant start from Carlos Carrasco, and yet they could not do anything with it. Carlos Carrasco went seven innings, gave up s- seven hits, uh, but only one earned run, uh, and the Indians couldn't do anything with it as their bullpen gave up another two runs and. They ended up losing by the score of three to nothing, and again the Indians' offense just could not 
muster anything whatsoever. The Indians did gather six hits in the ball game, but those six hits did not come at critical times as the Indians lost to the Kansas City Royals on Wednesday, uh, on Wednesday, September 9th, by a score of three to nothing. Again, d- despite a dominant seven inning performance by Carlos Carrasco, it all went for naught as the Indians. How about this stat? Uh, on 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 Wednesday, uh, on Wednesday, September ninth, uh, Wednesday, September ninth was the Indians' nineteenth time that they had scored two runs or less in a ball game this year, and yet and yet they are sign they are significantly over five hundred. That just tells you how dominant the starting pitching has been and how critical the commodity of starting pitching is, which is something we will discuss with Tom Hamilton in our interview coming up in just a moment. Again, the Indians, the Indians lose by a score of 3 nothing despite a dominant start by Carlos Carrasco. And again, the, the, Indi- the Indians' offense has, has been nothing but consistently inconsistent. And I think it's about time that the Cleveland Police Department put out a bolo be, be on the lookout for the Cleveland for the Cleveland Indians offense. And and if and if anybody has information that can uh, that uh, that can lead to the discovery of the Cleveland Indians offense, please um, please please send those tips to two four zero one Ontario because. The Indians desperately need to find some some offense, and uh, and again, the Cleveland Police should put out a bolo, be on the lookout for the Indians' offense, as the Indians' offense has been consistently inconsistent, is the best way to put it. As again, the Indians lose by a score of three to nothing on Wednesday. And it is the nineteenth time that the Indians have scored two runs or less in a ball game, which is crazy when you consider this season is only sixty games to begin with. We're going to talk about that. We're we're going to talk about the Indians' offensive struggles. We're going to talk about the trade and much more with Tom Hamilton. As Tom Hamilton and I had a pretty extensive interview, as Tom Hamilton and I had this chat on Thursday morning, the morning of September 10th, right, right uh, before the Indians' final game of the series with the Kansas City Royals. So again, here's my interview with the voice of the tribe, Tom Hamilton, talking about a wide variety of things, including the Indians' offensive troubles and the major trade that they made at the trading deadline. Here is my conversation with Tom Hamilton, the voice of the tribe, recorded on the morning of Thursday, August 10th, before the Indians' final game of the Kansas City Royals series. Joining me on this edition of Rolling with the Tribe is the voice of the tribe, Tom Hamilton. Tom uh, Tom Hamilton, thank you very much for joining me. I, I really appreciate you making the time in your busy schedule. You bet, Peter. Uh, so, so there's a uh, so there's a lot to talk about. I know it's uh, I, you know 
it's been uh, it's been a few weeks since it's been a few weeks since you and I last talked. Uh, before we get uh, the first thing I want to get uh, get your thoughts on is uh, what are your uh, thoughts on the uh, on the Clevenger trade? Obviously, it was a it, it was a major trade, and the Indians got a lot back both both for now and the future. They got three mm-hmm. players for now and three players. Uh, uh, f- uh, for the future. So just, uh, first of all, your thoughts on, on the Mike Clevenger and Greg Allen trade. Well, I think, um, you know, you kind of touched upon it in that you've got three guys that can help the ball club currently. And, uh, we have seen that so far and, you know, we'll see about the three prospects. You never know on prospects. That's why I don't think you can ever judge trades, especially, trades where you are involving prospects um, until three, four, five years down the road when you've seen whether or not those prospects would develop. Uh, The Cliff Lee trade's the perfect example. No one really knew much about Carlos Carrasco, and, you know, he's still pitching at a high level 11 years after that trade with Philadelphia. So the thing we find too much in sports or maybe society is that everybody wants to have an immediate reaction and immediate opinion and that that isn't the time to do it on trades of this nature uh, Clevenger's obviously going to help San Diego immediately and uh, we'll see what the Indians long-term benefit is from it yeah absolutely and uh, you mentioned San Diego I don't know what it is about San Diego but the but the Indians seem to love love to trade with uh, with San Diego we I mean we I mean, we have a uh, the Indians have a, about uh, what twenty five percent of uh, of of the roster is uh, former San Diego players. I don't know what it is about that. I don't know what it is about that organization, uh, but it's it's it's, well, it's really amazing. Yeah, they've they've got uh, they've had a lot of minor league prospects. In fact, a lot of them have been traded not only to the Indians but to a lot of other ball clubs. It just seems like San Diego is a a team that's willing to make deals. And uh, obviously the Indians have a comfort level with that and know their farm system very well. And it's been a good farm system. So, uh, so far, I think, you know, the Indians would be pretty happy with what they've gotten. They, they received still one of the top closers in the game in Brad hand a few years ago. And I think we all have seen how good friend Neil Reyes is acquired in the trade last year. So, so far, not that the Indians have dominated San Diego in those trades, but certainly the people the Indians have received back from San Diego have been very good players and have produced. Absolutely, and and and, and now let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about the the Indians' offense. The the Indians' offense uh, um, uh, last night against um, against Kansas City was the nineteenth time that the Indians have scored two runs or. Or less, and yet, um, and yet they have a pretty decent record in those in those games. That that just shows you how how precious the commodity of starting pitching is, and one of the and one of the riches that the Indians have is the commodity of starting pitching that pretty much no other team in Major League Baseball has to the extent that the Indians do. It's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, it's uh, a shame that the Indians have not been able to score more runs had they. Scored more runs, I think, obviously, the Indians would far and away have the best record in all of baseball because that kind of pitching 
is hard to come by, and the Indians have had it from the get-go this year. So, you know, that's the thing that you hope in these final two weeks that this offense can find its footing. They haven't to this point. I don't know that anything will change between now and the start of the playoffs. Uh, it's, you know, a case of you're not going to be able to do anything different. Not, not any players are available uh, at the alternate camp that are going to make a difference on this ball club. So the players you currently have are either going to have to figure it out and make some adjustments, or the Indians are going to be in a situation where, you know, the only way they're going to be able to win games, especially in the playoffs when you're facing good pitching night in and night out, uh, the Indians pitching is going to have to be extraordinary. Absolutely, it is, and and the Indians uh, and the Indians pitching, for the most part, has been pretty darn extraordinary, and, and that's a credit to the, and that's a credit to the scouts and the Indians organization. Certainly, just just constantly, constantly developing tremendous starting pitching. I want to get your thoughts on the trade deadline in general throughout th- uh, throughout baseball. Was it more? Was it more active than than you thought it would be? Was it less active than 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 you thought it would be in retrospect? Yeah, I don't know, Peter. I mean, yeah, I think there was maybe more activity. I don't think a lot of people thought a player um, the caliber of Mike Clevenger would get moved. And, you know, we certainly saw a number of ball clubs that were very active. I think what we saw mostly were teams that haven't had postseason appearances in quite a while seemed to be the ones that had more of a sense of urgency than ball clubs that are getting into the playoffs consistently. I think that's why you saw, you know, teams uh, like the New York Yankees and the Dodgers in particular, um, they're in the playoffs every year. And I don't think they felt the sense of urgency to make trades in such a uh, unpredictable, you know, 2020 season here with the pandemic. Whereas I think teams like San Diego and, and some of the other ball clubs that have not been in the playoffs in quite a while, I think they felt more of a sense of urgency to, to make moves that they feel like can not only get them over the hump, but maybe give them a deep run in October. So, yeah, I, I thought there was more activity than maybe we first envisioned. That's interesting. Obviously, the obviously the Indians made made probably the biggest splash of the trade deadline, um, but uh, but it was interesting to see because obviously with the expanded playoffs, there are more teams that are, you know, there there are more teams that feel like they're still in this. I mean, just just look at the just look at the AL Central. I mean, I mean, you've got um, you know you've got the Detroit Tigers still you know trying to get the seventh or trying to get the seventh or eighth spot. And that really, that really th- throws a monkey wrench into things. Yeah. It should be an interesting final two and a half weeks. No question. Yeah. And, um, another thing I want, another thing I wanted to ask you, 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 uh, you talked about just, just the strange nature of this, uh, of this 2020 season. And I have to ask you, because I've heard you bring it up, uh, several times, uh, th- this year on the air. What the heck is going on with catchers' interference this year? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's a bizarre one. I have no answer for that one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's, I mean, maybe, the, maybe the catchers are just are just trying to, maybe everybody's just trying to, you know, do. Uh, I think everybody in baseball is just trying to 
do too much maybe and get 162 games worth of stats in 60 games and maybe just trying to cheat up on the plate a little bit. But this, this, this catcher's interference thing is, is crazy. I mean, how many prior to this year, how many catcher's interferences do you think you've seen it in your 30 year career? I mean, well, I know I've seen more this year, Peter, than I've ever seen in a single season. I think the Indians, if I'm not mistaken, have, five catcher interference calls alone. And you never see in the course of 162 games, catchers interference maybe called a couple of times a year on either side. So I know the Indians have five. And I also know that there have been teams they've played this year that have been caught um, when the Indians hitters have been at the plate for catchers interference. So yeah, it's uh it's one of those, and maybe it just goes down as it's 2020, and there really is no explanation. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just, I just thought that was kind of interesting because, because I've heard you say so many times this year, "Oh my gosh, another catcher's interference!" It's like, what the, what the heck is going on? So I just, <laughs> I just want, I just want, I just wanted to get. Uh, to get your thoughts on that, I looked up a, I looked up a, a very, I looked up a very interesting stat on that. Uh, between between 1963 and 1982, there were a total of 285 catchers' interferences in the uh, in the National League and 100 and um, and 185 in the American League, I believe. Yeah, I wouldn't have even thought it was that many. So yeah. that's that, that's an interesting stance. Yeah, so I I just I just found that I just found that kind of <laughs> I just found that kind of interesting. Another thing I, I want to get your thoughts on is uh, uh, Trist, uh, Tristan McKenzie. He he um, he's he's a very interesting. I mean, he's a first of all, he's a very interesting pitcher to just look at because he looks because he looks like a pitcher who. You know, he looks like a guy who had, you know, who hasn't had fried chicken or or a cheeseburger in a long time. You know, and he looks he looks like a guy that needs uh, that definitely that needs to uh, put on some weight. And yet, and and yet, when you look at him, he's throwing ninety five, like it's no problem. And his jersey looks like he it's falling off of him. So, uh, like your your thoughts on Tristan McKenzie so far? I've really been impressed. I mean, we've heard so much about Tristan, had a chance to visit with him in spring training uh, before everything got goofy. And he's just a, a delightful young man. He's got a great personality. And, you know, he's really worked um, extremely hard to get to this point. He's had a lot of setbacks with injuries and whatnot. And that's always been the concern that, you know, because of his slender build, can he hold up? you know, for a rigorous 162-game season and make 30 to 32 starts. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that until you've been given that opportunity. We heard that for years in regards to Chris Sale, that he would never be able to do it. And I think we've seen that most people were wrong in how good Chris Sale has become. So I think you have to give guys that opportunity and Obviously, here in 2020, we're not going to know the answer to that. But again, because of the development of Tristan McKenzie, it enabled the Indians to trade a pitcher as good as Mike Clevenger, even when the Indians are in the midst of another playoff-type 
scenario here in a couple of weeks. So, you know, Tristan McKenzie is being heavily counted upon. They're going to watch his pitch limit. He's not going to make more than 90 pitches in a game the rest of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if he's put in the bullpen when the Indians get to the playoffs just because this young man had not pitched in two years in a competitive game. And so the amount of innings that he is going to build up to this year, you know, is is certainly well beyond what he pitched in all of last year because he never pitched and then had a truncated season in 2018. So he's a valuable part of the future. The Indians will be very, very careful in what his workload is. But gosh, if this kid can stay healthy, then the Indians have another dominant front end of the rotation type starting pitcher. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the Indians organization. Uh, well, I guess it's the I guess it's the scouts. But I mean, the the Indians just continue to to crank out, you know, starting pitching, uh, which 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 is the most which is the most valuable commodity in all in all baseball, which is uh, kind of amazing because you think about the pitching that the Indians have traded just from, within the last year. I mean, you. you You'd think that that would that that would kind of uh, set the rotation back uh, for quite a while with most teams, but um, but this organization in general hasn't had to rebuild really in a long time. Uh, when it comes to when it, when it, what, uh, this Indians organization hasn't really had any sustained rebuild in a long time, have they? I mean, no, and and uh, pitching is is obviously the reason for that. If you have the kind of pitching that the Indians have been able to produce. One, it's a commodity that the Indians cannot afford to go out on the open market and try to buy. So the Indians are only going to be able to develop their own starting pitching. And by golly, they've done it year in and year out. You know, at some point it becomes expensive. And that's why you've seen some of the trades that the Indians have made. But at the end of the day, you know, the Indians have maintained this competitive run here for five consecutive years because of their ability to either trade for young starting pitching that's still in the minor leagues and then develop those kids or draft and develop their own. And the Indians organization has been the best in baseball at doing that. Absolutely. And uh, so give – Give some, you know, give some, uh, you know, somebody's got to buy a nice steak for the scouts, uh, you know, for the scouting department, because, um, you know, this, this is, this is an incredible run by the, by the Indians organization. Uh, just, uh, one, one final question for you. Um, what, when it comes, when it comes to this, uh, for first, first round of the playoffs and, and best of three, uh, uh, you know, best of three scenario, uh, scenario in, in, in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, do you, do you think that, um, I mean, do you think that that's something that that's something we're going to see, um, uh, adopted, uh, adopted, uh, to, uh, uh, future years adopted in future years, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of creating more excitement for, uh, tele, uh, for television, I'm sure it's going to help, um, it, in that regard, and and ratings and whatnot. So, do, do you think that this uh, this best of three, um, 
this best of three format m- might stay um, in upcoming years, and and do you th- and do you think the 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 playoffs might actually stay expanded? Yeah, that's a good question, Peter. Yeah, I I don't think we'll see the Indians or Major League Baseball have this kind of expanded postseason in the future. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there is more than what we've seen in the past. And in the past, what we've had are the three division winners and the two wild card teams. So you'd have a total of 10 teams in Major League Baseball that got into postseason. I think that will increase, but I don't think it will increase to the number we have this year, which is 16. I think they will find some kind of a happy medium there uh, between what we've had 10 in the past and what we have this year in 16. The problem with having 16 is now you've really watered down a six-month season. And the one thing that baseball has over most other sports is the integrity of a six-month season. If you're going to play six months and then you're giving teams an opportunity to get into the playoffs that are below 500 or at 500, then I think you've really diminished the importance of the regular season because in a short season, uh, it's one thing. But in a regular season, now to have all of these teams that are in the playoffs and have the ability to win a best of three, that that happens all the time. The worst teams in baseball beat the best teams in baseball occasionally in the regular season in a three-game series. You don't want that in the postseason. To me, then that just kind of negates what you did for six months. I would like to see additional teams in the playoffs. I would also like to see maybe a best of three series that involves the wild card teams, but not to the extent that we have this year. This year, though, I think it's the right move because of a 60-game schedule not really identifying the best teams, as you mentioned, uh, there are teams that are still on the periphery, be it Detroit, be it Baltimore. They've had a nice run, but in a six-month season, those ball clubs would eventually level off. And so I think it's fine for this year. I hope we have expanded playoffs in the future, but not to the extent of 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. One uh, one more question because I I gotta get I gotta get your opinion on this. It would be negligent for me not to mention the fact that this Indians team has been pretty remarkable in how they've been able to adapt uh, to missing one of the best uh, managers in all of baseball for pretty much the entire, uh, 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 well, not not the entire season, but a good chunk of the season. Uh, Just uh, talk about the uh, tremendous job that that, that Sandy Almar Jr., Mike Sarbaugh and the the rest of that coaching staff has done adapting and keeping this team very competitive and um, and and keep moving in the right direction. Well, yeah, I think it speaks for itself. Um, not only have the Indians not had Terry Francona, but you know they haven't had the best bench coach in baseball in Brad Mills. Uh, they haven't had their hitting coach in Ty Van Berkeleo, and so this coaching staff has been incredible. Uh, the workload that they have taken on, the circumstances being what they are with the pandemic. And I sure hope that this opens doors for Sandy Alomar because he should be a major league manager somewhere. 
And obviously the Indians are in great shape having him to back up Terry Francona. But Sandy deserves the opportunity to be a major league manager with some team. And I'm sure hopeful that this run that he has had with the Indians opens those doors again for Sandy. I've I've heard that I've heard I've heard that uh, Terry Francona has been uh, back in the ballpark for the last uh, few games. Um, it, uh, what is the what is the latest you have on on his possible on his possible return? Obviously, he's doing uh, he's doing better medically, but um, uh, but is there anything you can say in regards to that? No, I really haven't heard anything other than um, what Chris has mentioned. You know, first off. Uh, they're being very private about those medical situation, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. Uh, the yep. good news is is that Tito has been able to start getting around and exercising a little bit, and has felt good enough to be at the ballpark and sit in a suite and watch a couple of ball games. That's a whole lot different, though, than the kind of load that you have to take on when you're back managing. And the hours that go into the preparation for a game that night, first and foremost, uh, the Indians are cognizant of Tito's well-being and everything for the future with Terry Franco. I mean, this is still a game, and you know you only get one shot at life. And so, I'm glad that the Indians and, and Tito have been smart about this. And when he'll be back, or if he'll be back here in 2020, I just don't know. Yeah, we, uh, we all we certainly all hope that uh, he can uh, you know get better physically, and then hopefully at some point be be back in the dugout. But obviously his physical well being comes first. Again, uh, Tom Hamilton, I really appreciate your time. I I really appreciate you making the time, as, as I know you have a busy schedule, and and we'll do this again sometime uh, soon, hopefully. All right, Peter. Thank you much. And that was my conversation with Tom Hamilton, the voice of the tribe. As again, thank you to him for making time to have a very long conversation in his very busy schedule. I really appreciate his uh, his willingness to have a wide-ranging conversation with me that you just heard. And so that was a lot of fun to do with uh, Tom Hamilton, and I hope you enjoyed that uh, conversation right there. Um, one one point I want to mention here is we we talked in that interview about how the Indians have have scored two or fewer runs 19 times and the Indians uh, uh, and that was of course before the Indians game on Thursday September 10th and guess what the Indians got shut out on Thursday September 10th by a score of three to nothing and so that makes it 20 games this year where the Indians have scored two or fewer runs. And it's really incredible uh, that, the Indian, that the Indians have the record that they have cur- uh, currently sitting at 26-17, and 17, considering the fact that they have had 20, uh, that 20 of their games have... Uh, that in 20 of their games, they have scored two runs or less. Think about that. In 20 of their games, in 20 of their 43 games, they have scored two runs or less. 
and yet they are 26 and 17. That is a credit solely to their pitching, and as Tom Hamilton mentioned in the interview, if they had even a somewhat more consistent offense, they would probably have the best record in all of Major League Baseball right now. But as it stands, because their pitching has been so, uh, I'm sorry, because their offense has been so inconsistent, they are in a dog. Uh, they are in a dog fight for this division, as the Indians, Twins, and White Sox are going to be battling all the way until the end on this division. It seems like as the Indians go into a series with Minnesota this weekend uh, with the standings looking like this. Chicago leading the division over Minnesota by a game. The Indians are a game and a half out, and then the Detroit Tigers are currently seven games out of first place. But uh, don't sleep on the Tigers because they might at least have a shot at the seventh or eighth spot in the Playoffs and with the best of uh, with the best of three scenario in the first round of the playoffs, anything can happen. So again, the Indians lose on on Thursday, September tenth, by a score of three to nothing, as they drop three out of four at home to the to the Kansas City Royals. You know, it just proves that that you never know what's going to happen in baseball, even if you think you even if you think you have an idea. What's going to happen on on paper? You you never know until you until until it ultimately happens uh, on the field. And the Kansas City Royals take three out of four from the Cleveland Indians. And again, the Indians drop their record. Uh, the The Indians drop the record to twenty six and seventeen. But again. 20 of their games, in 20 of their games, they have scored two runs or fewer at this point. So it's remarkable that the record is what the record is, given that fact. I did want to mention Carlos Carrasco pitched very well for the Indians on Thursday, September 10th. Carlos Carrasco uh, won seven innings, won seven innings, gave up seven hits uh, and one run, as again... The Indians get a dominant starting uh, starting performance by a starting pitcher that they can't take advantage of as the Indians lose by a score of three to nothing. That's about um, that's just about all the time we have on this edition of Rolling with the Tribe. Uh, before we before we get out of here, I do want to I I do want to mention something uh, historic that happened in baseball this week. Normally, if a baseball team scores nine runs in a game, they're going to win that game handily, right? Wrong. The Miami Marlins scored nine runs against the uh, against the Atlanta Braves, uh, which which normally, on a typical night in baseball, should get a team an easy victory. The problem is the, the Atlanta Braves scored 29 runs against the Miami Marlins. Well, let me say that again. 
the Atlanta Braves defeated the Miami Marlins by a score of 29-9. to Let me say that again. The Miami Marlins defeated the Atlanta Braves by a score of 29 to 9 <laughs> that that is pretty uh, pretty ridiculous and what's even more ridiculous about the whole thing is that the Atlanta Braves did not score a run in 3 of the 9 innings because the Atlanta Braves were the home team so they did not bat in the ninth and they did not score in the first inning or the eighth inning, and yet they won by a final score of 29 to 9. They set a brand new National League record for runs in a game. The, the, the previous record was 28, and they were one, they were one run shy of the all-time Major League Baseball record of 30 runs uh, in a single game. I was hoping that they would get at least 30 so that that record would be broken. But unfortunately, unfortunately, they they only set a, a National League record and not a Major League record for a number of runs in a game. So I just wanted to mention that factoid. And, uh, and also... In regards to the Indians, the Indians have a big series this weekend with the Minnesota Twins, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Minneapolis. We we are going to cover that series on our next episode of Rolling with the Tribe, and uh, that podcast will be up sometime on Sunday evening or early Monday morning. So ch- check uh, check for check. For, Check for the podcast. I I would say I would say check uh, I would say check for the podcast around midnight on Sunday, um, or when you get up Monday morning, it will certainly be there. But I will make sure uh, to get to get out uh, the podcast on the Minnesota Twin series as quickly as I can because it, that is certainly going to be a critical series. Well, that is all the time we have on this week's on, on this particular episode of Rolling with the Tribe. Again, my name is Peter Nab. Thank you very much for joining me here on Rolling with the Tribe. I got a few people I want to thank. First of all, thank you very much to Tom Hamilton for that long, extensive interview that you just heard, as uh, he was very gracious with his time in going well over twenty minutes with me. On that interview, another person I want to thank. I want to thank the senior the senior director of communications for the Cleveland Indians, Curtis Danberg. I want to thank Bart Swain, who is making sure that everyone has access to all of the post game audio on the road with all the restrictions regard in regards to travel. So thank you to Bart Swain, thank you to Curtis Danberg, thank you to Tom Hamilton, and thank you to you for listening. My name is Peter Nab. I'll be back next time on Rolling with the Tribe.